Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Melissa. Hey, Boa. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. It's beautiful and sunny here in Boston. And now we get to hang out. So I'm looking forward to that. For the second time, because I was on your podcast as well. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. And we're going to be talking about the parallels between your health and your finances and just learning more about you and what you do and just how you've navigated your finances and what you do for work and your advice to women who are listening. Before we dive into the topic, I'd love for you to tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Who you are, such a philosophical question today, Bola. <laughs> who am who I? <laughs> I don't know. I'm always figuring that out. But I can tell you, you know, who I am and what I do, at least around my work today. So I am a registered dietitian who works with women in bigger bodies who are struggling with binge eating, emotional eating, and negative body image. And the reason this is important to address is because very often these struggles are impacting their health bowl. And when I say health, I don't just mean physical health. I think that's the thing we immediately think of when we think of health. I actually just did this with some of my clients yesterday. Go ahead and Google the word healthy person and see the images that come up. It's hilarious. It's a bunch of like white ladies in like yoga poses with fruits and vegetables. It's like (laughs) such a like singular version of what health is. But what I like to think about with my clients is authentic health. So how does the way that we think about ourselves and our food and our movement impact our social connections, our internal experience when we're alone, and yes, physical health too. So sometimes my clients are working on prediabetes or high blood pressure or anything that you and your doctor worry about. So that's my focus with clients. And I absolutely love it. It's very different than what people are used to usually when it comes to diet culture, which I can't explain through this podcast. So you describe yourself as an anti-diet dietitian. <laughs> You're like, what does that even mean? What does it mean? So first of all, what, what does, does that mean? mean? And what inspired you to pick that specific anti-diet, right? Because the word dietitian in itself has the word diet in it, right? (laughs) So what inspired it and what does that really mean? Well, similarly, if we were to Google, like we Google healthy person, we could Google dietitian and kind of get an image in our minds of someone who is going to prescribe you what, when, and how much to eat. It might connote something of like a food policing or a shaming experience. And that does have to do in part with how dietitians are trained and how historically dietitians have shown up in the space. There is a growing movement of us that is working toward kind of reframing how dietitians are working with people. Anti-diet dietitians come from a social justice, anti-oppressive lens. And so what that means is that we are looking at how influences like body norms, ableism, racism impact what we expect of the shape of our bodies, right? So specifically, this shows up uh, like the thin ideal. And because of this thin ideal, people are incentivized to invest in diets, right? So we talked on our podcast, Break the Diet Cycle Bola, about people who buy like crash-shaped diets or do extreme Mm -hmm. things. And most of the time, that is in the pursuit of a body that we are told is the one that is right and good and healthy. And I'm air quoting for listeners who can't see me. 
So what anti-diet dietitians are thinking about is, okay, how does this information in the world influence our ideals and our values about our bodies? And how can we come back into ourselves and decide what we want working with our natural bodies? Yes, to nourish them and move them and all the rest but in a way that's true for us versus these ideals that are out in society. So that's what it means to be anti-diet. We're pushing back on any type of force that says there's only one way to look or be to be a healthy and happy person. Yeah, because there's this ideal of what, like you said, a healthy person looks like, what mm-hmm. a dietitian looks like, what a rich person looks like, what a, and you Google it or you go on Instagram and you put in the hashtag for those things and you see all these like, you know, <laughs> like you said, Images. these bodies, these people, yeah. this lifestyle. And as a result of that being impressed upon us pretty much our entire lives, that is now the standard, right? So we mm-hmm. think about healthy and we think about the bikini clad supermodel <laughs> that says yep. I eat one grape, one grape. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a celery stick for fun, for crush. <laughs> Unrealistic, but it's embedded in our brains that that yes. visual is the standard. So I love what you do. I love that you're that anti-diet culture because it's, you know, I find that it's always trending and I know people who are perpetually on a diet. I have definitely mm-hmm. fallen victim to diet culture, you know, cause I'm trying to lose weight for my wedding. I'm trying to lose weight for this. Of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And there's no shame in that. Like I want anyone listening to know, like sometimes when we learn about you know, how we came to believe and want what we want. It can feel a little bit like, uh oh, like, mm-hmm. oh no, I don't, I don't want to be associated with those things. And I want anyone to know that like all of us grew up in this culture or all of us are swimming in it. And there is no shame in wanting to lose weight. Like it is a bit of a currency. It makes sense that you would want that, right? It is true that people in smaller bodies, you know, have more accessibility at clothing stores. You know, they might have an easier time getting around in the world sometimes when you're smaller, you're treated better. There's evidence for that. And so there's no shame in wanting that, but also if we don't deconstruct that, we're going to stay in this perpetual cycle of chasing something that maybe isn't meant for our genetics, our biology, and the wonderful diversity that is all of us. Like, why do we all want to look the same? It doesn't make any sense other than the privileges that it gives you in a society that says that's better. So that's what I like to explore with clients. And it does, it makes a big difference to your day-to-day and how you approach food for sure. And I mean, what you do is a bit more personal because in your bio, you talk about your mom Mm -hmm. and you talk about generational diet trauma. So I'd love for you, if you don't mind, just sharing just how your mom's experience or what you learned from observing your mom led you to this and what is generational diet trauma? Yeah. So I'm happy to share this story. And the more I do, the more I hear from people like, oh my gosh, I relate to this in so many ways. My mom is in a bigger body. She's plus size. She always has been. And growing up, what that looked like for me was being around every diet of the 90s. This meant, you know, some fast was in our fridge. I joked that I like thought they were yummy chocolate shakes. I'm like, can I have one? It was like, no, those are expensive. You were not having the slim fast shakes. But she would do like Jenny Craig. I remember sitting in waiting rooms at Jenny Craig. She would do like Richard Simmons. Remember, do you remember Richard Simmons? I don't know if oh your audience Oh my gosh, yes. Even Jenny Craig. I, I don't see those anywhere anymore. I used to see yeah. them as a little kid. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's actually such a great point, Bola. Like notice how these diet trends ebb and flow. And yet all of us are still, quote, struggling with weight. Like if that isn't evidence that this stuff isn't working, I don't know what is. I am in my thirties and I've seen like at least four or five waves of trends just in my lifetime. So yeah, totally. These things ebb and flow, but that was popular at the time. And you know what that meant for her is she would go into periods where she was all in, you know, and and eating differently from us. And then she'd go into long periods where she goes into what I called effort mode. Unfortunately, when she was in effort mode, a lot of her other self-care went with it. And that's true for many women who are on weight loss journeys. Like when they're on, they're taking care of their sleep, you know, they're getting haircuts, they're buying themselves clothes. It's like a package deal. You know, when you're losing weight, you care for yourself. And when you're not hands off, we're going to kind of move away. Hmm. It meant she was less connected with me and my sisters in some instances. It meant she wasn't always participating with other parents. And it meant that she really would praise me and my sister's bodies, right? So you're so skinny, you're so pretty, which then overvalues, you know, that in us and positions her as someone who maybe isn't those things. And so Mm. 
That experience coupled with me becoming a registered dietitian and seeing that same pattern in my clients, seeing in the research that most diets wind up failing by the six-month mark or the two-year mark. Studies usually don't go longer than that because they're expensive and difficult. But we have repeatable evidence to say that diets don't work. So all of this coming together, I mean, I had no choice but to change the way I practice, right? That you have a lot, you have a lot of signs pointing yeah. to this. This is not working. You know, I, and when you said your mom was either in diet mode or she was in effort mode, when I was talking to you about, I have also been victim to diets and I was like, and then I just say effort. <laughs> yep. it. you know? it's, it's human. It's human. Because we like progress. We like mastery we like flow state, right? As learners and as human beings and diets never give you that. Like you're always feel like you're doing something wrong. You're chasing. It's often more effort than reward. And no human being can keep going in that way. Right. Like that, that's, that's insanity, the definition of it. So yeah, like it's smart that you quit. It's smart that you said epic because you're, yeah. I mean, I'm naturally like slim. And so my Mm -hmm. issue hasn't really always been to lose weight. Mm -hmm. It's just to fit into my clothes. Um, Mm -hmm. There are clothes that I really, really like that I know I cannot find again. And Mm -hmm. I need to fit into those clothes. (laughs) Sometimes I get, you know, so the past pandemic year, COVID, I gained 15 pounds from this depression eating. Like the world is ending. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, let's just eat my feelings. And you know, I still look slim, right? My mom is like, mm-hmm. oh, you look the same. What's your problem? When the world started to open, I couldn't fit into my clothes. I'm like, this is problematic. Yeah. And so but for yeah. me, it was instead of like dieting, it was just, this is a little off topic, but for me, it was just more paying attention to what I was eating and yeah, knowing yeah. when I was eating my feelings. But yeah. that aside. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so when we think about this process, you know, like what you're saying is that you chose a form of coping that worked well for you at the time. That's incredibly resilient. And yummy. (laughs) And think about it, like literally all of the things that made us feel human, all of our resources for many people, like, especially if you live in a city or something, right? Like maybe you used to go to the gym or walk to work. Now Mm -hmm. everything's closed. You're in your apartment. So movement as a coping tool is not there. Social connection as a coping tool is not there. Our sense of hope and security was challenged during that time. We couldn't even imagine a month from now. And so choosing food, there's nothing wrong with that. It's incredibly resilient. It is, we're amazing, right? We figure out a way to survive. Exactly. (laughs) The outcome of that may mean a fluctuation in weight. And what anti-diet philosophy might say is that, yeah, well, that makes sense because at different seasons in our life and as we age, we expect our bodies to change. That's actually normal. It's been going on since the dawn of time. And many times we're fed messages like, well, if you buy that shirt, it should always fit. And if it doesn't, (laughs) you know, you're in big trouble. So exploring a little bit about like, what do you believe? What are your values? What are the coping tools that work for you? And hell yeah, Bola, if food worked before and it's not working now, that's okay. It's okay to switch gears. It wasn't working anymore. So I just decided, you know what? I need to fit back into my clothes. And it took me like six months and that was my pace. I wasn't crash Mm -hmm. dieting one week to lose 50 pounds. And it was fine. My clothes fit. I'm happy with myself. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I still eat all the same things, but just in a different way. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I have other things to do now, and I can walk and I can do stuff. So, and this is the important piece is like that's you and your body. And for some women, like my mom, she might have done stuff like that and never gotten down to that slim frame. And that's the message that I really want to tell women in bigger bodies like, if you are making adjustments and doing things and your body naturally settles somewhere and it's not the one that society told you was the right or the good one, you still have a good body. Even if those clothes don't fit anymore, that's true of you. So we all, I think sometimes when we hear these stories of like what other people did, it's easy to go, wait a minute, I should do that too. I'm saying it would be so lovely if individuals thought about their values, their genetics, and what really matters to them and live in that space authentically, because that's going to be the place where you have the most peaceful relationship with yourself and with food. So I'm really happy that you found that because- we all deserve that. That's so much headspace, right? That we're using on food that does not need to happen. I have to agree with you 100% because this COVID season aside, I find that a lot of people I know, even myself at some point, were in the pursuit of the body that we had in our 20s. 
in my 20s, I weighed 119 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you were essentially a child bull. Essentially- I, I could fit into anything. I was a size zero. You know, mm-hmm. you take that with you. Like I used to be a size zero. I want to be a size zero. And I had to accept in my 30s that, listen, girl, that body is long gone. You're a mother of two children. I birthed twins. My hips and my waist and my thighs are completely different from that shift mm-hmm. of being pregnant and having those babies even if I was a size zero, not with these hips. And I just mm-hmm. had to embrace the current body that I have, which is yeah. 145 pounds. And I, I'm happy here, but I mm-hmm. still see people who are still in pursuit of that body we had yes. in college. And I'm just like, you need to let it go. I mean, mm-hmm. and I know it's not as simple as that, but yeah. like for peace of mind, I can't imagine if I was to say, I wanted to get back to my college body, you know, I wouldn't be losing 15 pounds. It'd be like <laughs> 25, 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. I would still be, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but so I wouldn't be able to face you. <laughs> well, I think that this is a good point about the generational stuff, Bola. Cause like what you're saying is like, you're starting to like open up your mind a little bit to that. Like it's normal to change, right? It's normal for our bodies to go through seasons. And it's also normal to change our priorities, right? Like, so maybe earlier in your life when, you know, your business was newer, when you didn't have kids, maybe before you met your partner, this time before you had all the energy in the world to mess around with this stuff, right? Like it does take an extraordinary amount of effort to prioritize the way of eating that causes weight loss, an extraordinary amount of effort. And that is because our bodies resist weight loss. We are programmed to survive when we restrict our intake and we move more, our body like turns on these little whistles. It says, uh, she's losing weight out there. Let's go ahead and make her hungry. Let's go ahead and make her think, yep. Make her think about food, slow down (laughs) her metabolism because it doesn't know the difference between now and a thousand years ago when we had a bad crop and nobody's eaten. So The fact that we are here, <laughs> we are descendants of people who had those mechanisms within them that let us exist today. So when we restrict past the point of our body's tolerance window, it's going to fight like hell. And that's why people have this experience of like, they lose weight, it comes back and then some, because the body will program itself to say, let's gain a little weight in case she does that again. Mm-hmm. So this phenomena is something that we are fighting and often going against our desire to lose weight, which we should absolutely challenge, you know, where that comes from. When I think about generational trauma, what this looks like is mothers telling their daughters, your role, your most important role is getting to that thin ideal to look beautiful. My clients say things like, well, I just want to look put together. Well, what does that mean? It's very linked to status. It's very linked to wealth, right? This idea of people who fit in certain clothes can afford and work certain fashions. And that signals out to the world that I belong, that I belong in this space. So sometimes we're dissecting that together, mostly so that we can stop that rattling. Like I should lose weight. I need to lose weight. This can become an obsession for a lot of my clients and they role model it for their daughters who grow up to role model it for their Mm. daughters. And it is traumatizing. If you talk to people the way that I do, it takes over their whole, everything they think about is through this lens of weight. It doesn't need to be that way. That's very interesting because I think my ideals about weight and healthy body a lot were formed just from external sources, like friends, Mm -hmm. social media, what I saw on TV, because my mom has a different frame of mind. My mom is Mm -hmm. plus size. Mm -hmm. And I've heard my aunt's joke with her, like, you know, Emily, you're getting fat. And she's like, do you know how many children I have? I have four children. Listen, (laughs) I'm supposed to be. I'm happy with myself this way. Okay. Yeah. And they're done that. And like, even when I was losing my 15 pounds, my mom was like, Oh, is everything okay? Are you happy? Like, <laughs> what's happening? Why do you yes. lose, lose all yes. this? Way? So she's my mom is of that. Embrace who you are. Love it. If it doesn't fit, buy the one that's gonna fit mm-hmm. you. You know, she doesn't. I like your mom a lot. I think we. The, <laughs> She's like, there's so many other problems we have that to be worrying about your weight. As long as you put your hair down, look good, girl, you know, be proud of your weight, buy a new dress that fits. So that's, it's interesting to just see, you know, just the different ways people form their ideology about what the ideal body is. So transitioning into money and weight loss, right. Or just diet culture. 
Do you find parallels between that diet culture and personal finance? Like when you just in your own personal experience, when you talk to your clients, do you see any like similarities, overlaps? Is money part of one of the things that's going on with them during this like diet pursuing phase? Like, I'd love to learn more from your experience. I think so. I think so. And I think there's two ways that that presents. One is how they make decisions to invest in weight loss programs. So I want everyone here to pay attention to how you are marketed to when someone is describing a weight loss program. Here's what you're going to see. It's not going to be news to any of you. You were going to see a before and after photo. Yes, I see that a lot. All the time. You are going to see testimonials about how everyone is doing it and they're happy and their body, everything's improved. You are going to nowadays start to hear things like, this is a different type of diet. It's not like the other ones you've tried. Organic. And, yeah, like it's, it's the whole, <laughs> like they'll say it's a whole new method that we've uncovered. I'm here to tell you as a registered dietitian, nutrition science moves slowly. It is incredibly complicated. If someone tells you they have found, just found the secret, go ahead and double click on that. Go ahead and check out what studies they have because that's very much not the case. When we are marketed to, what's happening is they are using a shame-based tactic. When you go to buy something, we have to instill, we're not we, marketers like to instill guilt or fear because those emotions, they stink. Nobody likes them. And when we evoke those emotions, then we got to resolve it. And here they are. You feel guilty? You feel guilty that you don't look like the after photo over here? You feeling a little shame about that? Well, look at this brand new thing. Oh, and if you join for $2.99 a month, so that's one way I think financial literacy about, you know, how we're marketed to and how do we pause and make purchasing decisions around weight loss is something we could do a whole dissertation on because this is a $72 billion industry that has yet to yield sustainable results in our society. That's why Jenny Craig came and passed Bola. <laughs> and it's like, it's like whack-a-mole. They like pop up in another name and another style. And we go, oh my God, it's like we have a Swiss cheese memory. We don't remember. <laughs> Wait a minute. This smells a lot like what I did before. So that's one way. I want to hear your take on that before I tell you the other way that I see money stuff come up with diet culture. What do you think of that? I see see it at guilt and shaming around the before and after or the aspirational, you could look like this. This is what you were meant to be. And I also see it. This is the one I really hate. And this actually annoys me when I see it. You just need to lose weight to find the perfect love interest, Mm. to find the perfect partner. That guy will notice you when you've dropped. Like, And it's not said directly, but it's in the advertisement. It's very Mm -hmm. much implied. You know, the ladies at home watching TV of, I don't know, a love story and she's eating ice cream and then she loses weight. And then she's now the girl with the guy. Oh, good call. Movies are the worst for this. Oh my God. Like I can't (laughs) even watch a freaking movie. mm, (sighs) I don't like this idea of change yourself so you can be with somebody. Mm -hmm else so yeah I do see that and you know but you know Betty Craig came went and but she made her money and there are people who this has worked for right but I find that most people I know who have done these things it's always short term and then on to the next yeah. interesting thing on to the next it's, it's interesting though this idea of like it has worked for some people yes and has it worked sustainably I'm not saying that there aren't people who have absolutely lost weight successfully and kept it off, but oftentimes there's two things that's happening. They're either in their set point natural range, right? So like you described, Bola, you lost about, what did you say, like 15 pounds or so? Mm -hmm. That we all have a set point range that naturally swings in a 15, 20 pound range. So it might be that you're at the bottom range of your set point. So people who are successful sometimes are doing it within their natural set point. And then the ones who are outside their set point or way below it, talk to them. Those folks are measuring their foods. They're stepping on the scale every single day. They're probably calorie tracking. They're the ones at the party who are like, oh, no cake for me. I brought my special brownies. They are often experiencing mental health adaptations that many of us would not call a thriving life. So I'm not saying that's everyone, but it's worth, and this is part of being critical of the marketing when they say, well, someone did it. What happens within us is we go, well, if someone did it, I'm just going to lift up on my bootstraps. And I'm going to push. And, yeah. But if you have evidence of like 20 years of chronic dieting and you always wind up in the same spot, 
that's not a you problem. That's a diet problem. It's really important to be critical because what happens is people shell out thousands of dollars on a bad gamble. And it's a bad gamble because you have experienced that that method doesn't work for you. So that's how it links to money for me is I see clients spending. I mean, they're embarrassed to share how much they're spending to do the same methods over and over again. And it does impact their financial health. Yeah. And, you know, the way I see it just in the parallels is just like it's the mindset approach to healthy eating, the healthy body or even like getting out of debt of saving money. Right. Sometimes people get caught up in this quick win. I'm just going to buy. Yes. There was a time before the pandemic where every late night ad you saw, if you're watching like E or CNN was about a pill and you would take it Mm -hmm. and it would burn fat while you sleep. And it was like mm. a quick win because in two weeks, you know, it's boosted your metabolism and now you are this ideal body. And it's the same with paying off a lot of debt or saving a lot of money where people are looking for a quick workaround. So, yeah, you know, see an, an emotional decision again, right? It's yes. late at night. Usually that's the time when all the Sunday scaries and anxiety comes up. We're processing mm-hmm. our day. Like, so I guess the takeaway as we discuss this is like emotional purchases can sometimes malign or misalign with your values and what you know yeah. about yourself, you know, like, so really trying to name like, oh, I'm feeling a little shame, I'm feeling a little guilty right now because of that picture. How do I want to cope with that guilt and shame? That's a lot of what I do with my clients is we observe that and we say, okay, if we're feeling that what's a productive, healthy way to work with that emotion, because shell it out another thousand dollars for XYZ pill set for six months. That's not it. That's not going to be yeah. the way and, to yeah. really move forward. Hey everyone, so I wanted to come on here really quickly to share some amazing news with you. My fourth book drops this summer on July 6th, 2022, and I am beyond excited. The book is titled Choosing to Prosper, Triumphing Over Adversity, Breaking Out of Comfort Zones, Achieving Your Life and Money Dreams. And it is different from my last three books in that it is very personal. However, it was an extremely important book for me to write. I talk about my imposter syndrome, my family and upbringing, my mental health challenges, my past career and relationship challenges, building resilience, building Clever Girl Finance as a business of impact, achieving my financial and personal dreams, and much more. And based on my experiences, I share ways in which women in general and women of color can overcome the challenges they face when it comes to finances, career, and business. I share how women can build successful careers and or profitable and flexible businesses depending on your chosen path. And I also share the strategies that help me achieve success and how you can leverage them in your life as well. My hope for the women who read this book is that you are challenged to be confident, to find your voice, and to realize the personal growth you desire for yourself, regardless of what's stacked against you. My new book, Choosing to Prosper, is available for pre-order today in audio, ebook, and physical book formats wherever you buy your books. I cannot wait for July 6th. Okay, let's get back to the episode. So it's, you know, they buy the pill or then they get sucked into the person on Instagram that says, I'm going to show you how to day trade and become a millionaire to pay off your debts by or I'm going to fix your credit in two days. And it boils down to just, I don't know. I think there's a lot of, it's not easy to simplify it, but I think Mm. that it really starts in your head before your body, before your finances, you have to come to this place of acceptance of this is a journey I want to take, but it's not a quick win. It's not an overnight right. solution. And while I go on this journey to pursue what I want, right, whatever your ideal body, whatever your financial goal is, is that you're going to do it in a way where you don't feel resentful. You don't feel shame. Mm, you don't feel guilt. You don't, I love feel that. Finished, you don't feel restricted, but you can still make progress. Yeah. So I do see that quite often, you know, and there's always a lot of comparisons between finance and diet in the sense that it's 80% your head yourself. And then the 20% is the actions and the skills that you mm-hmm. have to develop, but then you have to take what you learn and then tie it into your positive mindset to be able to make mm-hmm. that long-term progress. Cause money, healthy dieting or healthy bodies, it's a lifestyle. It's not a one and done, mm-hmm. right? I can, mm-hmm. I've lost my 15 pounds. Who says I can't gain it in the next, this whole summer. And it can look different ways, you know, yes. like the way that we measure and describe it it's so funny. You'll get a kick out of this today. I saw a reel this morning on Instagram where it was like, can business coaches stop saying I'm a millionaire because their business made a revenue of a million dollars? Oh, <laughs> that's what, like, that is I, a pet 
peeve. I knew this was going to be. <laughs> it is. So, uh, yeah. But like, there's an example, it. right? Like of people being like, oh, I'm a millionaire. And it's like, you click on it. It's like, well, are you though? And it's the same thing. It's like someone with a thin body, like, well, I'm healthy. And you click on it. It's like, girlfriend, you're counting grapes. Like this is, it's not necessarily what it seems. And it's okay to desire health and wealth and belonging. We're humans. We all want that. But yeah. let's be real about what we're talking about as we do it. I'm not a fan of that approach of- I knew you, know, you wouldn't be. <laughs> It just doesn't suit my personality. Like, you know, I can come and say, hey, Melissa, guess what? I'm a millionaire. And mm-hmm. your response will be, so what? Right, <laughs> like, right. What have I done to help you? Like, you know, right. like I prefer actual value. I don't need to tell you that I'm a millionaire to be able to share value and share insights to help you achieve your own financial goals. But right. coming forward as that, as my tactic, it, it's just not my stuff. So I, I don't mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, each their own. So don't come for me, please. <laughs> Everybody it's okay to have want. a point of view. Yeah, to have your own point of view is just not mine. So. I love it. You okay, know, I want to tell you the second way, though. Ahead. The second yes, the, yes. The, the second way that money impacts people. I don't know if you see this. So sometimes when my clients, like I talked about my mom, right? How she was like, I'm all in. And then she's like all out effort mode. Sometimes when I'm working with clients, because what we're doing is so at their core of the style of thinking they have, I sometimes hear this pattern from clients where they say, you know what, I notice I can be like this with my money, where like I'll get into little jags where I'm like, I have to save no spending and they'll get so, so rigid, right? Like they won't go out, they won't go to dinner, no more Amazon, they like cut off everything, really, really restrictive. And it's obviously there's so much suffering involved. Like they have no pleasure from their money. Yeah, it's not sustainable. Start to hate the idea of wow, these people who keep talking about budgets, they're all out of their minds because this is not life. This is struggle. This is exactly. It's not. I've done that. You know, I've done that to save money, and it's not sustainable. And I did save the money, but I was like, you know, I'm not doing that again. I'm not. Yeah, (laughs) and you're right. Like it's it's a it's short term if you're gonna do that method. And for some folks, you know, depending on like how much money you're making, I felt like this in my early twenties, like as a dietitian, salaries are pretty modest. If I wanted to make big, big money, I might have done a different training, but here I am with this massive student debt. And I think I told you this on our podcast, I'm sitting there with my husband and we're trying to budget. And I'm like, I got in that trapped mindset where I'm like, oh my God, we can't go out to dinner anymore. I can't buy my curly hair products. We can't do this. We can't do that. We're just going to have to get rid of cable. I'm just going to have to go to work and come home and stare at the wall. And I felt angry because I worked, I've been working since I was 15 full. Like even when I was little, I was like doing lemonade stands. I have been working two jobs my whole life. And you're telling me that this is how I have to live to make it ahead. And so what did I do? I don't want to look at my money. We didn't do a lot of planning or thinking in my early twenties because I felt what's the point. So I see this with clients around food the same way, where they get so restrictive, where they think it has to be so restrictive that they step away. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that leads to the other mode where it's like, well, if I can never reach the goal, balanced diet or healthy diet, financial balance, whatever, I might as well binge. And so yeah. sometimes clients yeah. report that alternate mindset where they say, well, whatever, I'm never going to be rich. So I might as well carry a crap ton of credit card debt. I might as well buy the person, I might, whatever. I'll figure out how to pay for it later. Same way with dieting, right? Whatever. Yeah. Obviously it's not going to work. I guess I'll just eat until I don't feel well. So I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to that other than it's called all or nothing thinking. And if you tend toward that, it's going to show up in your food, in your money, in your relationships, in everything you do. And it's worth looking at. It is worth looking at. And you know what? I have done the all or nothing thinking. And it's even something that we talk about on the podcast. Like you have a goal Mm -hmm. to save, to invest, and you really want this goal. You know, if you want it bad enough, what are you going to do in the short term? And the keyword here is short term to make yourself get that. And that could mean Mm -hmm. you don't go out to dinner. It means you don't do this. You don't do that. But again, this is short term, right? Because sometimes some people need that short term kick in the butt to see the progress Mm -hmm to then create a normalization around, okay, now that I've made this progress, I know I can do this, but I am going to go out to dinner, but then adjust my budget accordingly. So sometimes that all or nothing works. It it worked for me, but I realized Mm -hmm. that it's not a lifestyle, right? And money is one thing, but I don't think all or nothing should apply to a healthy body. 
and my idea about this all or nothing doesn't work for a healthy body is because outside of I mean, people say money is a really important part of your life, but your health is number one. If you don't have the health, you can't do anything. You can't work for the money. The things you want to do, you cannot do if you are not healthy. If you are sick yes. in a hospital bed, forget everything else. But Bola, you're doing it. You're bringing it all to the physical. One of the things that we know about all or nothing thinking is it does link to higher depressive and anxious symptoms. It, it does. 100%. And so, yes, that's why I think this is such an important message because sometimes people are in these throes of diets and they look like they have a physical, healthy body, no, but their but anxiety and depression symptoms are through the roof. Through the roof, yes. When you feel like that, how can you apply a can-do spirit? How can you follow through and execute? Mm-hmm. Your brain is foggy. Like financial health requires a certain degree of executive skills, planning, <laughs> organizing, following through. You can't do that if you're you're anxious and depressed all the time. Yeah. And if food is the main contributor, if your body is the main contributor, you know it, we got to address that or else, like you're saying, everything's connected. We can't experience all these other forms of health, including financial. It's just, it's going to be harder for you, period. Yeah, so there, there's a limit for that all or nothing. And I think that limit comes totally. to your mental well-being and your health. And those mm-hmm. should not be all or nothing categories, okay? You can mm-hmm. all or nothing. I'm going to clean this room today or nothing. <laughs> sure. Yes. But not. <laughs> you should see. Should I turn my camera so you see my desk right now? Well, are you in my house? What the heck? Don't call me out on the podcast. We don't want to do all or nothing for our mental well-being, our physical well-being. That no, mm-hmm. we, you know, like. But I see that. I do see how that happens, and I do see how it works. But I do see how it gets taken out of context, and I do see for how sure. it becomes extreme, and then it becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. And like you said, most people who have diet struggles, mental health struggles, you see them; they look perfectly fine on the street right? You don't know what's happening in their head, their internal turmoil. And Mm -hmm. it's, we can spend, you know, dissecting this is, it's a very heavy topic. And this is why I coach people for usually three to six months. We can take our time through this because you're right, especially if you've been doing this thinking a while, right? But the beauty is, is that you can retrain your brain, right? You're not stuck Mm -hmm. thinking this way. You're not stuck feeling this way. That's why I admire your work, Bola. You the education that you provide, it meets people where they're at. You can often just start with a little nugget, you know, and get inspired and then build on that little by little. It doesn't have to be, you know, the quick fix and it won't be that spoiler alert, hate to break it to you. It's not going to be a quick fix, but it's very worthwhile when you can enter a room and feel comfortable in your body. And it's not linked to your weight or size. When you can eat the foods that you want without feeling out of control, like we eat three to five plus times a day. That's a lot of negativity if you struggle with this. So it's so worth it. Yeah, it is, you know, and it's not the pursuit of perfection. Mm. Even the person you see that is claiming to have the perfect body, they're the one that's still like, oh, look at this fat on my back. I cannot see it, but you can, (laughs) right? So there's no pursuit of perfection. You want to be at peace with yourself. It yeah. comes to your, your body, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your overall well-being. The goal here is peace with yourself on your mm. own terms, not by anybody's definition, not by your parents or your friends on social media. None of that. Just be happy with your own self. That's yeah. the ultimate pursuit. Good advice. So, <laughs> Melissa, I'd love for you to share just key pieces of advice you would give someone right now who's listening to this that is resonating with what we've talked about and they're struggling with food guilt. They're struggling with the pursuit of that ideal body image. They feel like they're too big. They're too small. They're, you know, all of these things. What advice would you give this person so that they can move on towards a healthy and balanced lifestyle that works for them, for their own person? It's interesting because so much of these feelings are triggered by social media So even if you're listening to my approach and you're kind of like, okay, Melissa, we'll see. Like, even if you're feeling a little bit on the fence or resistant or skeptical of what I have to say, one, I want to say that that's normal. Like you have been experiencing the world a certain way and this information can feel head turning, right? It can feel like the world's upside down. But if there is a part of you that's like, no, I like the outcome that Melissa is talking about, where I feel comfortable, free in my body, I can choose food, what I want, I can do so in a way where I eat and move on, I feel good in my body, and I'm confident that I'm making steps towards physical, mental, and emotional health. If that sounds good, my first step for you would be to go onto social media 
and start to cull or clean your feed. So anybody who is on there who you know does these weight loss sales tactics I just described, we just learned they don't have any new information. You're hearing that from a registered dietitian. I used to work in research, particularly if they are a coach who just lost weight themselves. I would be very skeptical of the, I did it so you can do it too. So anybody who is marketing in that way, particularly if they trigger guilt and shame in you, you can kindly unfollow. They don't know what happened. Doesn't it happen? It's okay. You can mute the posts and instead slowly start to replace accounts that make you feel triggered or negative about your body or food with ones that make you do feel positive. For some of you, that might mean I love baby seals. Paula, so I watch, I got a lot of baby seals on my feed. It's so weird, but I love them. Like I can't, and sea lions too, both, both are great. You know, maybe it means putting joyful content on your feed that has nothing to do with food that just brings you a little giggles and joy and connection to yourself, right? Or some part of your identity, some hobby or something like that. Maybe it means finding women with bodies that look like yours. Hmm. There is a whole world out there. I just did this exercise with a client where I'm like, what is that put together beautiful body that you want? And don't you know, she described a Disney princess, right? So one of her activities right now is actually finding folks who look like her or maybe a little bit bigger than her, because what that's going to do is give the brain exposure to see like actually diverse bodies are normal and it's okay to be in this body. And you can also follow accounts like mine. Mine is no.more.guilt, where you can start to just dip your toe in the water and see like, okay, well, if I do want to pursue nutrition without it being restrictive, what does that even look like? Many of us anti-diet dietitians give free content for you to just even get a sense of what this looks like. So that would be my tip for you is to like, just change the culture that you live in first and see does it make you feel better? Does it make you hopeful and curious about what's possible again? If yes, then you'll be able to figure out your next step because it's hard to flip the switch overnight. I love that. Yeah. And I'm in agreement. Call your social media, you know, find people who are on the same wavelength as you values, right? Have the same values Mm -hmm. or pursuing the same goals. You can relate, resonate with them and their journeys and their struggles. Because sometimes it's the struggles that attract us Mm -hmm. to somebody's journey and let go of the guilt and the people who are making you feel guilty and bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. Cause people will do that when it comes to your weight loss. People will do that when it comes to your weight gain. People will do that mm-hmm. when it comes to your, your debts, your savings. Oh, you haven't saved enough. Or is that all you saved? Oh, wow. Look at how much debt you have. Oh girl, you're meant to be in debt. Or like, like you brought up on the podcast and I, I bet this isn't rattling my brain since we talked, like sometimes on social media, there's certain influencers who maybe they live, like I live in Boston, Massachusetts, Bola. the cost of living over here is like extraordinary. It is insane. Extraordinary. I follow, it's extraordinary and it's growing. <laughs> like literally a tiny Cape house down the street just sold for $1.2 million, but I can't even discuss this right now. <laughs> that's, not, that's not cool. That's not cool. Hopefully this is changing soon. But what I'm saying is like, I follow people who live in the Midwest. And many of them have larger homes, they're brand new, they're all style. And I can hear it in my own mind sometimes like, I need to renovate. I need to fix my house. We need a different house. You need to renovate and, in Boston to match the girl that's down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with, you know, with like six acres of land. dollars price difference. <laughs> so I think like this idea of like either being critical to say like, we're different and that's okay. I have a life in Boston that's different than someone in Tennessee my life is not worse or better than hers and hers is not worse or better than mine. It's okay to be different. So either you got to adopt that attitude when you're looking at people who you might envy or it makes you, I got to have that. Or you've got to say, you know what? My brain's not in a place right now to be around that and be true to what's true of my context, where I'm at on my journey. It's just, it's a choice. And I think we grew up in a, like when social media came around when we were in our teens, probably like early teens, kid, I don't know where where you were at, but like, we never got training on how to be around social media. Training on social media. Like it just happened to us. Absolutely. And we're still figuring out how it impacts our brains, but we're getting messages so fast that we can't even process them. It's, It's hard to even ask yourself to be critical 24 seven on social. So get rid of folks that require more critical pushback than others. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's has, too much. Has always stayed with me. It's something that my, my mom told me. And it was like, if you look at, you know, let's say there's this rich, wealthy, successful, ideal body person that you just really wish you had their life. But if you were to 
read the book of all of their experiences, their struggles, their traumas, their all that stuff. If you knew the deep, deep parts of their heart that they didn't even share with anybody of what they have experienced, it's very likely, despite what they have, despite how incredible you think they are, you may not want their life because you cannot handle the struggle, mm-hmm. the trauma. So mm-hmm. comparing yourself to somebody else. Useless. Normal. It's normal to do it, but it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Not helpful. You know, focus on you. You see something you admire in somebody else, you know, don't want theirs. Seek yours in the way that works for you, in a way that is suiting to you, to your mental health, to your happiness, to your peace of mind, right? And don't assume you're doing it wrong because you're different. Like this is really important to me to say, because you know, can you imagine if my mother looked at her body when she was younger and was like, oh, like your mom, I'm envious of your mom that you had that experience. Like, what if she said, oh, I'm in a plus size body. I have a good body. And I'm going to be an example of a woman in the world who is successful and happy and thriving as I am so that other women who are like me can know that that's one of the things to envy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just as enviable as the thin girl down the street or the rich girl down the street. I think that that would be such a, wouldn't that make the world a kinder, better place if we could have that attitude? And I think, but, you know, just to give some more context, I think sometimes it's the framing, right? Because my mom's generation, you know, no social media and also just culturally, a voluptuous body is Mm. ideal. It was taught to her that that was ideal. It's fine. It's ideal. When you're voluptuous, carry, like, that's just part of the carry yourself, wear it, be, you know, like it's part of the, it's tied into the culture. And so it's a different way that she herself was Mm -hmm. raised, right? Like there's nothing wrong in being this, like when you're in a bigger body, it means you're, you're, you have money, girl. You are eating well, you're living well. (laughs) Exactly. And then I think American, I'll just name it. It is a, it is a white cultural thing that thinness has, there's a whole book on this, by the way, if you, if you ever want to get deep into the history, it's called fearing the black body. There's been some serious, no, there was an actual there's a reason for this. And it has to do with white supremacy as, as everything does. So. I will talk about on this, but there is a story and you can Google this, but it was back in the days of slave trade and how, and okay, I'll talk about it briefly, but women with voluptuous bodies were captured and it was just so mm-hmm. unusual to see like the hips and the waists and all that. And some of these women end up being put in European zoos as attractions, like, you know how you had, there's that movie, what's it called? The Greatest Showman, where people have mm-hmm. like different, something different about them and they, right. they now become this circus show. So these women became circus shows. And there's actually one really, one South African woman who became very famous, not because she was, she was treated horribly, but famous for her voluptuousness. Mm-hmm. And you can just Google the context of this story, but it was just very interesting because she became like, she was in a zoo circus and she was now people would line up to come and look at her that's it and that's 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 what the premise is for why we might idealize thinness in our society because there was that separation back then of like you know blackness being more voluptuous and whiteness being more thin Mm -hmm. and it's it's gross but that is where the thing it's where the thin ideal started to take root and then over time wealth, whiteness, thinness, these, these traits start to intersect. So it's heavy. I know it's so heavy to talk about these things, (laughs) but it's important to, because this is part of what I want to support. And I've learned this from fat and black folks who have trained me and taught me that this is not me figuring this out. It is by their study and their experience that I've learned these things. And so I do my best to repeat it because I think it's worth saying like, look, it's okay to want these things in our culture, but also at the same time, the more we perpetuate it, the more we're perpetuating these things that I don't think anybody wants in our society. So that's my personal belief systems. I hope listeners share that, but it is worth considering who you are and what your body was meant to be before those forces came along. Yes. So before I let you go, Melissa, you have to share, what is your clever girl superpower? Oh my goodness. I am definitely one of those women who's learning to like be okay with bragging about myself. So if anyone else about it, that's why we ask the question. I actually love it. I also love the name clever girl. Like (laughs) who doesn't want to be a clever girl? Okay. I think I have a couple superpowers. 
But mostly I feel like my superpower is that I make people feel really seen and special. And the way that I do that is by listening and making them laugh and remembering the things they care about. And like, I'm the girl who I see a card and I buy it six months in advance because it's the perfect one for you. (laughs) So that is my superpower is that I make people feel warm and seen. I love that. I love that. And I can tell from the work that you do. Yeah, you you do make people feel warm and seen and comfortable. That's great. So please tell us, I know you shared a little bit, but please tell us your website, your podcast, the services you offer, how people can find you. And we'll put all that in the show notes as well. I would love that. Thank you. So I am Melissa Landry. I mostly hang out on Instagram at no.more.guild. If you head over there right now, you can go to the link in bio and get a free guide. I have a three-step guide where you can walk through channeling some of your values and maybe set a starter goal that has a little bit less to do with the diet culture stuff and more to do with what you want for your health. So that's on me. Go ahead and grab that free guide. You can also find my podcast called Break the Diet Cycle anywhere that podcasts are found. We deep dive into all of these topics and give some practical tips for you. And I think that's all the places I might suggest. If you wind up there, you'll find all the other tools if you're interested. Awesome. So we will put the Instagram in the show notes and also the podcast, Break the Diet Cycle. And you can learn more about Melissa and her services and how she supports people by visiting one of these places that she has mentioned. Thank you so much for coming on, Melissa. This has been a different type of podcast. We usually focus on money or business. And I thought it would be really cool to just talk about life from a different angle because all yeah. of this is somehow interconnected. And it's, you know, as women, it's something that lots of women struggle with this. I have, you know, we've joked mm-hmm. about it on here, but it's a serious topic. Mm-hmm. And I know this podcast is going to help someone that's listening. I'm so glad. Thank you for giving this, this audience at a stage. And I just appreciate so much what you're doing for women. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.